Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distancer, episode 223. Thank you very much for listening. It's fantastic that you're listening. So ever so much for that. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for that. Thank you. And to the guy that's listening to the Maldives. I hope you have a nice time. It's been raining here. Christ, it's been so cold as well. Like, why is it so cold? Anyway, we've got a big show for you. The main thing is, after the bloody outro music, Paranormal Blip, it's the biggest news of the week, Jeremy Corbell dropped another beauty. And I've got a link to that in the episode description. It's a video of a bloody UFO, wouldn't you believe it? And the people on this um, ship talking about it, the USS Omaha incident, no less, 2019. So that's pretty good. Also, though, we're going to talk about COVID and we're going to talk about the India variant. And we're going to talk about UBI, a trial in Wales. And we're going to talk about David Cameron. So that's the show. Um, bit of a funny week. I mean, you know, quite nice being at work, seeing everyone. The weather really has been, like, unbelievable, though. Um, but, you know, weirdly, things are uh, quite good at the moment. <laughs> Um, I think everyone is a bit shocked with the India variant, and kind of rightly so. But, as I will express myself in a moment, I do think that, uh, you know, we, we can kind of get through it. And there is a tension between, you know, the race, as the sausage puts it, between, you know, cases going up, which inevitably they will do, and, um, you know, as the kind of restrictions that get lifted, of course cases are going to go up, and the number of people being vaccinated. And hopefully we've got that balance right. But we may, you know, who knows? I mean, we, we don't know. Who knows? But at the end of the day, you, you do know that if you've got the vaccine, including with the India variant, if you get COVID with the India variant, you're essentially protected, you know, and there's a very good chance mathematically that you're not going to end up in the hospital or in the morgue. So you ought to have seen the sunshine. No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. That sunshine. So Bonson Johnson, Sausage Johnson, said something quite interesting the other day. He said that they are moving the gap between the first and the second jab in the UK from 12 weeks to eight weeks, uh, which is really good news. But the reason why they're doing that is because of the India variant. And the India variant means uh, looks like it's more transmissible, means that it can reach more unvaccinated people quicker. Uh, now, on that, the latest that I can find, latest information that I can find, and of course it's emerging data on this, but the latest um, information, get on with the fucking thing, is that if you have been vaccinated and, you know, the best case scenario, you've been vaccinated twice and it's two weeks after your vaccination, which is just happens to be the position I'm in because I'm a lucky motherfucker all of a sudden in this world. Um, then the uh, India variant isn't a hassle for the vaccines, right? 
So you can take a look at the um, you know data. There isn't much of it, but you can take a look at the data. Um, what's his name? The do- dude, um, John Murdoch Brown, or whatever his name is, um, on the Financial Times. He's really good at the data guy. He's really good at um, explaining this, and he was explaining this on Twitter the other day. That essentially it is emerging, you know, um, data because not there's not a lot of people in the big scheme of things that have had the two um, vaccines but the people that have looks like they're not the people that are getting um, ill from having the uh, from getting the India variant the India variant is spreading um, through the young population uh, who are the guys that have not been vaccinated john burn murdoch is his name on twitter john burn murdoch and so that's really interesting now the problem is though that it does um you know it's got a transmissibility advantage as they say and um the uk government pandemic modeling team is is basically saying we've got to keep an eye on this and it may affect it's not going to affect Monday's opening, whereby cinemas are opening. Quite a lot of stuff is opening on Monday, the 17th of May, in England. Um, and people can go around each other's houses for the first time. But that is limited to two households, though, yeah? It may be that in some parts of the country, like so in Burnley, for instance, where there's a quite a, you know, proportionally higher um, rate of the India variant, they are surge testing and they're surge vaccinating. In uh, Lancashire, where Burnley is, if you're uh, 18 or over, you can book your vaccine now. Uh, the rest of uh, Britain is not like that. The rest of Britain is, um, I think it's 35 to 39 is the kind of latest um, kind of group, age group that can book their vaccines now. So they're trying to kind of deal with the India variant by surge testing and surge vaccining. But it might be that the India variant, because it is more transmissible and it's, you know, roughly doubling every week, it might be that in a month's time when we're supposed to, you know, get another kind of tranche of openings and, um, you know, the lessening of restrictions, uh, it might be that that has to be put back. And that was the other big news that Boris Johnson said. He said that the, I think it's June the 21st date, is in question now, okay, because of the India variant. And talking about the sausage, here he is. The race between our vaccination programme and the virus may be about to become a great deal tighter and it's more important than ever therefore that people get the additional protection of a second dose so following advice from the joint committee on vaccination and immunization we will accelerate remaining second doses to the over 50s and those clinically vulnerable right across the country so that those doses come just eight weeks after the first dose and if you are in this group, the NHS will be in touch with you. So there we go. Just saying what I said there. And so that brings me on to it. So, OK, first of all, 
I'm not particularly worried about the India variant. Even though it's more transmissible, there's a good chance that if you are vaccinated, then you're not going to have a kind of, you know, existential outcome. You're not going to die from the India variant. It doesn't, there's nothing to show in the data that it is more dangerous. What it shows is that you can catch it easier, okay? But if you catch something and you're vaccinated against it, then, you know, you're vaccinated against it, okay? Now, obviously, it's better if you've got two jabs than one, but it's also better that you've got one jabs than none. And it also might speed up the booster, which may come in as, as soon as September. And it might speed up the idea that um, children aged 12 and above are going to be vaccinated as well. It's obviously not good news that, of course, you know, that there's a variant that is, um, uh, you know, kind of giving people COVID-19 at a quicker rate. But I'm not too worried about it because the chances are, if you're in your 20s and in your 30s, it's always been the case. Of course, there are, you know, there is long COVID and there are people that are hospitalised and there are people that die in their 20s and 30s from COVID-19. And the data shows that if you are vaccinated, then you are vaccinated against the India variant as well as all other known variants. It may be, in a worst case scenario, it may be that we need to have a booster that is tweaked um, to kind of compensate for the India variant if it shows that the India variant doesn't, uh, you know, can get through the vaccines, as it were, um, better than all the other variants that we have come across so far. But that then comes down to personal responsibility, because although you can go around other people's houses, you know, you've got to make a judgment about whose house you're going to go around next week. Obviously, if they've been vaccinated twice or once, you know, that comes into it. If they haven't been vaccinated and they're going out breaking the rules already, I mean, there's people that I know um, who are who are young people who are basically not adhering to the rules. You know, they're breaking the rules. You know, the sun's up. Well, it's not fucking raining like crazy last week. But, you know, it's, it's summertime. People want to see each other. And it's been a very difficult, um, you know, winter and spring. So people are really kind of eager to spend time with each other inside, you know. And we know that that is happening. I mean, that's obviously been happening for quite a while. And, you know, you do need to, if you're going to do that, then, you know, you've really got to kind of think through the implications of that, especially if there's a variant going around, which you, which means that you might get it. So that comes down to your own kind of sense of how do I keep myself safe? The good news is um, one third, over one third, like 38% of people of uh, over 18 in the UK have been vaccinated twice. And over two thirds, over uh, just under 70% now of people have been vaccinated once in the UK. So that's a massive, like it's millions of people, you know, over 35 million people have been vaccinated. Do you know what I mean? So that obviously has an effect in terms of who you're talking to, how long you're talking to them, the chances that they've been vaccinated and all the rest of it. But it does also come down to personal responsibility. So you have to, you know, still, you know, wear a mask when you when you 
you know, when you're inside and be really careful about this idea of spending time with people inside that haven't been vaccinated. Open the bloody windows as well, because that makes a big difference. So, you know, I'm not overly um, worried about this variation because I do this, this variant, because I do know that the vaccine is just incredible. Like it's absolutely brilliant position to be in. And of course, there's many, many parts of the country of the world where they're not as, you know, kind of fortunate as us and privileged as, as us and lucky as us, you know, to have this uh, vaccine. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. Have a great weekend if it is the... So David Cameron was being interviewed or questioned by a bunch of MPs about this green seal um, bollocks. <laughs> and Siobhan McDonough, who is the Member of Parliament for Mitcham and Morden in London. Yeah, Surrey, isn't it? Mitcham's in Surrey. Um, well, of course, she asked the bloody corker that Beth Rigby picked up in her report for Sky News. And I'll play a little bit of that in a second. And um, so basically he's, you know, tried to... He, he didn't want to put a price on how much she got paid by Greensill. And essentially this is the story that, you know, he was in constant WhatsApp communication with his buddies in the civil service and in government trying to get Greensill involved, Greensill's company that went then went bust, involved um, in, you know, kind of government... Uh, like, you know, basically getting money from the fucking government for this guy that seems like a total crook and one of the dudes asked him whether he was a con man which was quite entertaining anyway, Beth, um, here's Beth Rigby's a part of Beth Rigby's report upon this Do you not feel that you have demeaned yourself and your position by whatsapping your way around Whitehall on the back of a fraudulent enterprise. I genuinely believed these were good ideas to help small businesses. I did not believe in March or April, uh, when I was doing this contact, that there was a risk of Greensill falling over. Mr Cameron said it would be a painful day. In the end, it was absolutely excruciating. A former Prime Minister told by MPs that his reputation was in tatters, that he had brought the office of Prime Minister into disrepute, that his lobbying style was more like stalking and that he was motivated by personal greed. Accusations that were all rebuffed by Mr Cameron, who acknowledged that there were lessons to be learned, but insisted that he had acted in good faith. Four hours of interrogation, but the questions still come in, with Greensill and Mr Cameron under investigation from Parliament, Whitehall, the financial regulator. A day Mr Cameron will want to forget, but this story far from over. Beth Rigby, Sky News, Westminster. Beth Rigby, Sky News, Westminster. The woman starts to do it again. So it was a good question, wasn't it? And, um, you know, what's to be said about that, apart from obviously he was... Obviously he was doing it because he wanted to make money. I mean, the idea that he was trying to kind of, you know, help human beings generally. I mean, fucking hell. But anyway, he's being kind of, you know, ripped apart, which is quite nice to see. <laughs> 
So some really good news in terms of the universal basic income, UBI. A universal basic income scheme is to be trialled in Wales, meaning adults, regardless of their means, will receive a regular sum of money. Now, it's a trial. Mark Drakeford has said that he's... Um, Drakeford has said that he's going to do it, but they haven't set the parameters. They don't know yet how much money people are going to be given. But the idea of universal basic income, I mean, it's a no-brainer for me. It's absolutely, you know, trial after trial after trial shows that uh, it gives people a certain amount of financial independence to start to think about things other than work in their lives. So people become more creative, people become more entrepreneurial, people can kind of do the things that they've wanted to do without the back of poverty on their back. Is that the phrase? No, the, um, the monkey of poverty on their back. It sounds a bit strange, um, but you know what I mean. The kind of stress of, you know, constantly having to work in order just to keep your head above water, if you are keeping your head above water. And if you think about it, like, you know, a town um, where, you know, there's lots of deprivation, if you inject, say, for instance, you know, a thousand pounds a month, or even 500 pounds a month, yeah? 500 pounds a month given to every adult, um, no matter how much they earn. And the I, number one, right? For fucking decades, we've been spending billions subsidizing uh, energy companies. Billions and billions and billions of like our money, taxpayers' money, going into the fucking coffers of uh, some of the world's most profitable companies for decades. So the idea that, you know, just when you give money to poor people, you can't afford it. When you give money to fucking millionaires and billionaires, there's no end of that fucking money. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not interested in this argument of you can't afford it. It's just bullshit. Outer bullshit. And the other reason why it's bullshit is that it frees people up to start making money, like bringing more money into the economy and, you know, giving people jobs where there's actual choice in terms of the job that they have and the hours that they can do. So you can actually start genuinely thinking about a work-life balance. And not everyone's just like working their fucking socks off, their fucking socks off until they like burn out and go mad, you know? And of course, after 10 years of austerity, when you burn out and go mad, then you're fucked. Like there's no one to fucking turn to, you're fucked. So I think it's a good idea. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with this, um, you know, with this trial in Wales. And there's various other trials uh, popping up and down. And if you really are interested in this, you kind of look at the research. It's like, it's a no-brainer. And it really does, uh, you know, change everything. It's a massive game changer in terms of people's, like, independence and, like, how they can, you know, kind of get their... Uh, life in their hands so it's really good news that Mark Drayford and the um, uh, Welsh Labour Party are doing this and um, yes all the best to them so poor choice asks a question and poor choice 
asks, what if everyone's vaccines suddenly fell out? Well, uh, how to tackle this one? I would say that the vaccines, after a couple of years, might start to lose their efficacy. And that's why you get uh, vaccined up once a year. And don't you hear with a flu jab, if do you do that, more and more people are getting a bloody flu jab. Um, probably someone's making a right little learner from that one, aren't they? Yes. So vaccines don't fall out. They, um, how do they get out of the body? Do they just fall out your bum? Maybe they do. Maybe what happens is that you get another, another vaccine. Poor choice. That's what happens. Thanks for your question, poor choice. Episode two, two, three. Thanks for listening. Now we're going to take a look at the old Goliath bird eater, the world's biggest spider. It's a tarantula found in northern South America, and it's fucking massive. It can grow up to forty-five meters tall. Ooh, that's a big one. Right, ready? One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops and take care of yourselves, wear a mask, get your vaccines, social distance, enjoy other people's company if you're at a place where you can do that. And take care of yourselves again. Why is it taking so long to do this? Come on, hurry up, sing yourself. Right, see you later. <laughs> Bye! See you later! That music can only mean welcome to Paranormal Blip and what a week it's been. Yesterday, Friday, Jeremy Corbell at 8 p.m. Uh, British summertime, 12 p.m. noon um, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, I don't know what that is. Is it 3 p.m. in um, New York? Yeah, Eastern. Yeah, I think so. Um, he dropped a video, whoa, the likes of which we've barely seen for us humans in the early part of the 21st century. Essentially, so you can find this video quite easy. I'll do a link to it. Uh, I'll do a link to the video that um, contains the footage, but also contains an explanation to it. 
between it's a conversation between George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell and these guys really have kind of worked out how to release this stuff uh, you know to a kind of expectant world it begins with a couple of um, about 24 hours of a period where people uh, who are kind of following them in social media expect to hear something so they kind of say you know stay tuned at this time and then they release it with enough information to give any journalist worth their salt enough to go on in terms of verifying it independently and you know so loads and loads of information in terms of the actual uh, time and date and location and circumstances around the event and the event we're talking about is the USS Omaha in 2019 was uh, buzzed by at least 14 so when I say buzzed I mean kind of flight well they were actually tracked for an hour by unidentified flying object unidentified uh, aerial phenomena as they're constantly being called these days unidentified submersive um, uh, phenomena as well so these things they're basically uh, machines that are around about I think six meters um, I can't quite I can't quite remember the size of them but let's say six meters I think it is or maybe it's six feet uh, balls okay they can be seen by the naked eye as kind of like lights balls of light um, but it was dark and they were tracking them on um, kind of infrared radar which obviously shows up the uh, you know the kind of heat um, signals of objects and so it comes as uh, the video is a kind of infrared infrared video so you video <laughs> so you can see the dark spherical object very clearly being uh, tracked by the radar and uh, the amazing thing about this footage which is about a minute long is well first of all you can hear people talk about it you know the kind of guys in the um, control room at the USS Omaha which is like this ship a surveillance ship yeah um, talking about it and like trying to like talking about the you know wind speeds and various things and then what happens is at the end of this footage the spherical object the UFO goes down into the water it seems to go down into the water um, we can't know that for sure because at that point nobody could see it with the naked eye because it was 11 p.m. at night there off the coast of San Diego but it's about 60 miles off the coast of San Diego um, so um, you know we've only got the kind of FLIR footage to go with the FLIR is the kind of radar system that they use um, footage to go with and interestingly this was an iPhone or like a kind of smartphone recording the monitor uh, that the um, you know kind of the, the uh, radar monitor so that's interesting in terms of there's a debate online about does that is that the reason why it's unclassified um, Jeremy Corbell in the interview that I'll link to with um, George Knapp talks about how the, he doesn't know for certain 
whether the Pentagon and the um, you know Department of Defense have got this footage. He was leaked this footage, and he said in previous interviews he's actually got quite a lot of similar footage. So iPhone footage or smartphone footage. Um, now I think that actually it probably is that everyone because it's a very uh, stable. Um, shot, you know, it's not wobbling around. It doesn't look as if somebody's secretly filming it. I think that the guys in charge of the boat said we actually need to collect as much evidence as possible. So everyone get your fucking iPhones out and let's start filming the screens. I don't, nobody said that, but that's my kind of own sense of, you know, how come we've got this, you know, you'd imagine if somebody was. Uh, there in a kind of command centre on a surveillance boat in the middle of the night where there's 14 fucking UFOs around you, you'd be shitting it to like secretly film it, you know what I mean? And your hand wouldn't be as steady as the guy's, uh, as the guy's hand who's filming this. So anyhow, so what we, what we know is that there is other um, footage that Jeremy Corbell has, has got of the same incident that he hasn't released yet. And he alludes to this. In a minute, I'm going to show, tell you, uh, I'm going to play a kind of edited version of the of the video that I linked to. And he alludes to another, um, like he, he says, says something like, wouldn't it be cool if there was uh, footage of like somebody filming it with their iPhone, just like off the um, side of the railings? of the um, ship, you know, kind of like looking up into the inky blackness of the sky and you could see the lights. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, it's a bit of a hint that he's got that footage. And we know that, you know, because he's become a kind of journalist who releases stuff, uh, after checking it, by the way, because he's a journalist, so obviously he doesn't go like, you know, it takes him years, sometimes years to check this and to kind of make sure okay, this is, the, the, the provenance is like absolutely true. You know, it's not, a, I mean, you know, all of the kind of old fashioned arguments about, is it a fake? You know, all of that is, this is happening. And to, to tell you the truth, I've said it before on this episode, on this, um, on this episode, I've said it before on this um, paranormal blip, it doesn't really matter what you think about it. Like, it's happening, whether you like it or not, or whether you believe in it or whatever. Like, that's by the by. I'm really interested in it because it's a genuine mystery. I also feel like there's a kind of connection that I have to my parents, who were both paranormal investigators. Um, so, but I'm, you know, really interested in it. Anyway, uh, here is an edited kind of highlight from a longer uh, interview between... Jeremy, it's not like a conversation really, between Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, who together released this um, footage into the world, and already it's kind of causing, you know, like, well, making news, basically. It's like, become, it's gone viral, like it's been seen hundreds of thousands of times online already, and, like, you know, other news, other journalists are picking it up and reporting on it. So here they are. The big thing that gets me, and, and this is evidence that will be provided at a later date, you know, these objects were in varying speeds 
from, you know, 40, the, the objects themselves, the UFOs, that, you know, from, from 40 knots all the way to up to 138 knots, so almost 100, like 150 miles an hour. You know, I know the drones we have, the, the, the thing that is, was most interesting to a lot of individuals involved with witnessing and recording and documenting and being part of this event series was the, the longevity, the, the, the duration, the endurance, as they would say, of these, of these objects. I mean, they lasted way over an hour out there. So to have high powered lights, to be that brazen, to make all the maneuvers, to be fighting against the wind, to be hitting speeds like that, and then slowing down that takes battery power. So this is fascinating. And also they, they never found where these things came from or went to. So they don't know where they're launching from or going from. I mean, maybe it's the water because that's what we're seeing one do. We know for sure one appears to go into the water. I don't know. There's more questions than there are answers. I would love for this to be US, American technology that just somehow everybody's miscommunicating on. However, I do see that if that is true, then it doesn't matter whose they are. This represents a technology that is profound just on the energy conservation of propulsion. So, so that's interesting to begin with. I mean, we call it a drone, or it might be called a UAV or a UAS, whatever you want to call it. It's flying along beside, beside this ship for an hour or so. Then after it figures it's got enough close-ups, it goes into the water pretty dramatic little incident there. And then there were attempts to pursue it, to figure out what happened, to look for debris if it crashed, to see where it went. I mean, this is a surveillance ship. It's packed with surveillance gear. It has other ships and assets around it that went looking for this thing. Did they find it? They did not find it. And uh, really, let, let's take a step back. We don't know when these objects were appearing and disappearing at one time 14 with this event series over the course of three days, that was the largest number on the screen. We don't know if they were going in and out constantly of the water. We can't make the assumption that, that we know. We've got one that appears to be going in the water. Uh, again, appears to be because there was no destruction. There was no craft. There was nothing they could find. That's why people are thinking it's transmedium. It, it was going in the water to be able to go. And we just don't know. We do know that these things were illuminated and, and that's what's so interesting. It's so brazen. You know, these things were swarming, not just, you know, kind of like far off, but they, there were there were many that were all around in different areas on the ship. You know, there, there might be footage from the deck of the ship, you know, filming up into inky darkness of lights. That gives you a reason or an understanding of why these would be designated drones. Um, the people involved that I think would have been in a position to have influence or say on how these things were designated, the, the biggest comments that, that I've been getting is that drone was just this catch-all phrase because of the maneuverability, because of this, the size, not of any body that they saw, not of any rotors that they heard, but just of the, the ball of light that was observable. So this idea that it was drone was was really some people said to me that they felt that they were they had failed in their duties that that this should have been investigated better that for some reason it was like as if uh, they were more curious than they were threatened and so th this idea that these are are drones 
uh, okay, cool. Well, the people that actually made that designation aren't saying they, they know they're drones. So the idea is who has the, the capabilities that these technologies represent? That, that's what we want to know because yeah. we can figure out intent once we know who is behind it. Well, I mean, I think Chris Mellon and maybe some others have said if if some foreign power has been able to take this kind of a technological leap where it can create objects with no known propulsion system that can sneak up on a surveillance ship, a ship designed for surveillance, and then disappear and you can't track it. You don't know where it came from. It performs things that we can't do. It can fly along and then go into the ocean and disappear. That's technology we don't have, and it would represent a massive intelligence failure on our part if that technology belongs to China or Russia or some other uh, adversary. So this is going to be a big weekend in terms of UAP coverage in the lamestream media. We got CBS is the morning show, which is called Sunday Morning. They've got an interview with Leslie Keane and a kind of package to do with uh, UAPs and the upcoming uh, government report, the report for the Senate. And then the big one is 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes tomorrow night, Sunday night in the States. Um, and that is already actually making news because they did a little kind of two-minute trial on social media, including uh, an interview with this guy, a fighter pilot who had a kind of event, like a kind of near you know, a, a close encounter, essentially. And and he said, uh, amaz- I mean, this has made news, it's incredible. He said that they would see UAPs, which is the new name for UFOs, every day for a couple of years. Every day, they're flying up there, and every day, and it just became so normal, which is like fucking unbelievable. You know, it's incredible, that. And also, um, 60 Minutes, I mean, this is the power of 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes have got the conversation that everybody's wanted with the person that was uh, the other, in the, flying the other fighter uh, jet in the Tic Tac uh, episode. So Commander David Favor was the guy that was, so it was two, basically what happened was, this is quite famous case, 2004, um, two fighter jets were called from a training thing into a real-life situation whereby they were asked to track down an unidentified flying object and they saw it and the, so there were two fighter jets in each jet there were two people um, two of those guys in the first jet um, the guy like the pilot his name is David Favor he's done some very compelling interviews and he's kind of like you know been everywhere on all of the you know shows that are into this like joe rogan interviewed him and he's quite easy to find in terms of you know getting his story um but the person that flew the other um plane has spoken to people kind of off the record but she's wanted to become to stay anonymous until now and 60 Minutes has got the interview that everyone wanted, basically. So she is in, as part of that 60 Minutes um, package as well. So that would be really interesting. So, you know, it's not just the 14 times. Um, we are kind of getting out there in terms of the, uh, the story. 
And the reason why it's taken so long, and it is a, it is like, you know, if you try to change it, I mean, you know this, you know, in our everyday lives, if you try to change anything, it takes ages. Um, but bit by bit, that years and years, like decades long, um, you know, government's program to try to shame people into shutting the fuck up if they saw something is, uh, you know, being broken up. And that kind of sense of, oh, I must be crazy or whatever, and I can't say anything because everyone will laugh at me, that is slowly going. The more people like David Fravor speak out, obviously, you know, who is a kind of impeachable source in charge of, like, his job is to fucking, you know, like, in, in charge of, you know, equipment that is millions of dollars. And part of his training, obviously, is to uh, observe and kind of work out what he's looking at. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's a trained observer, you know. So when the more people like him and the other pilot who's speaking to uh, 60 Minutes come out, the more people will feel a bit more confident that if they do see something, then they won't be laughed at. But it's a kind of, you know, huge cultural change. And then we're only at the beginning of the kind of questions as to, well, what are the implications? You know, like um, George Knapp said, even if it's, well, in any way, it's extraordinary because these craft, like it is happening, you know, you've got to kind of, one at some stage, not everyone's there yet, obviously. I said this like fucking weeks ago when I started Paranormal Blip, but not everyone is there comfortable with the idea that this technology is on earth you know and we don't know where it's from it's unidentified i have no idea but the idea that it is russian or whatever that in itself is kind of extraordinary you know the idea that there are some technologies that is man-made that can turn on and off uh, nuclear weapons i mean it's incredible like the missiles in nuclear silos that's incredible, you know, the, it's incredible. It's also incredible that if it was Russian, then why is it happening in Russia as well? It's happening in the United States and happening in Holland and happening in various other places, you know? So it isn't, uh, there's no kind of easy uh, answer to any of this. Um, and, you know, it may well be uh, quite esoteric. And the longer I've been looking into this, the more I've realized that if George Knapp, who is my kind of go-to guy, the more that George Knapp kind of feels comfortable about reporting stuff, the more I am comfortable listening to him. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not a fucking idiot. Like, he's been doing it for 30 years. It would be tremendously arrogant for me with nothing, like fucking nothing, to say, oh, no, I know better than George Knapp. You know, I mean, how unbelievable would it be for me or anyone else for that matter to say, oh, no, I know fucking better than the fighter pilot who's been flying for 30 years, who's like genuinely like freaked out by what he saw. And it was essentially like this experience that he can't explain. No, no, I bet know better than him. Yeah, fuck that, you know. So let's have a bit of fucking humility. Let's have a bit of fucking humility. Right. Have a nice weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, so there we go. So it's going to be really interesting. I wonder how much um, spillover we get in the United Kingdom. Probably not much. 
Um, Daily Star are into it. There's a few little stories, you know, here or there. But there isn't. there seems to be a kind of appetite, really because of the Senate, you know, um, report that we expect quite soon. I think that's kind of fueling it a little bit. Uh, but but also as well, you know, people are um, now in in the uh, navy in the U.S. They now do have a protocol a protocol for um, uh, reporting this stuff. I think that's after Omaha, or kind of because of Omaha, because Omaha was such a big thing in terms. Of, it was like it was a three day. Um, event. It wasn't just once, a three-day event where you're being constantly tracked by UFOs. I mean, it's unbelievable if you think about the implications of that. And like they say in the little extract that you heard, even if that is like man-made stuff, it's fucking game-changing. Like just from a kind of energy resource point of view, how the fuck do you fuel something with no propellers no like visible way of propelling itself for an hour at sea like it's can't you know we don't know how to do that do you know what i mean so it's incredible we've got footage of that so well done jeremy if you're listening well done george if you're listening and well done everyone all right see you later